I, I just want to start with this. My, my first job in ministry, I was a, a part-time youth minister in a church out in the country to the west of Fort Worth. And I mean way out there, way out in the sticks. Um, we actually rented a, a, a single wide trailer out in the, in the deep in the woods, not anywhere near civilization. And if you were to go with me to where my wife grew up, and where she lived literally the day before we got married and you saw the environment that she was raised in, you would say, okay, this woman deserves a statue, stained glass window, some kind of award in her honor because she wasn't quite martyred for the faith, but the next best thing, right? You know, So that's not the point of my story, but my point is that one day when we got off work and I got out of class, we, there was still a couple of hours before sundown, so we decided to go for a walk in this little country road uh, that led to, did I mention it was a single wide trailer? Um, so, you know, we're walking down this little, little gravel road and this dog, this old, big old hound dog just comes running out of the woods and just starts trotting alongside of us. And he's a big old friendly guy and we petted him and he walked along with us for a couple hundred yards and then he loped back into the brush and we didn't see him again. And so we get back to our house at, uh, at about sundown and there's a note taped to our door. And the note says, and I quote, come talk to me. I'm in the house right behind yours. I don't want to kill your dog. And that last sentence was written in very large, very angry letters. I didn't even know we had a, a house behind us. We're, we, were, we backed up to a whole bunch of brush. So I told Carrie, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go behind all this brush and see if I can find that house. If I don't come back in about 10 minutes, just, yeah, I don't know, get in the car and drive south until you get to spring and go to your parents' house because I, 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 I'm dead at that point. So you might as well save yourself. Um, so I went through the brush. I found this little house. I knocked on the door and I hear the following. I hear a, a woman's voice inside say, get the door. And then a man's voice say, what? And then get the door. And then some curse words. And then stomp, stomp, stomp. And then the door flings open. And there, uh, about, standing about two feet above me is one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. And he had red hair. And he was very red from head to toe because he was very angry. And the reason I know he was red from head to toe, he was wearing only Fruit of the Looms. I mean, I, I can't swear that's the brand, but it was his tidy whities either way. And he's standing there glowering down at me and he goes, what? Now, I, I gotta tell you, just so you know, in case you don't know this yet, I'm not the daredevil, you know, storm the, storm the foxhole kind of guy. That's just not my nature. I'm pretty cautious by nature. Last time I was in a fight, I was 12 years old and that was pretty much a slap fight. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not a tough guy by any means. And, and, and if, if you want me to, pick my, the way I, I prefer to die. You know, being torn limb from limb by a naked hillbilly is not high up on the list. And so I was pretty scared. I won't lie to you. I was pretty scared. But I'm very proud to say I didn't, I didn't wet myself. I didn't run screaming into the woods. I didn't dissolve in a puddle of tears. In a very calm voice, I said, hey, I got your note. It's, I don't have a dog. And he looked at me for a minute and he goes, I saw you and your wife out there walking with that dog. And I said, well, we weren't actually walking with the dog. Dog came running up next to us. I don't know whose dog it is. It's not ours. And he said, well, I got home today, had a really rough day at work, got home and a bunch of my chickens were dead. I just noticed that, you know, that dog started hanging around about the time you two moved in. And I said, 
Again, I, I don't know how to explain that, but it's not our dog. Right about then, I heard this sound of, best way I can des- describe it as feminine distress, alarm, I don't know, because my wife had come around the corner, I guess, to watch me get beaten to death. And she, she walks around the corner and she sees this you know, redneck colossus towering over her. And it's amazing how quickly his demeanor changed because all of a sudden I look back at him and he's kind of, you know, manipulating his body in such a way that only his head and shoulders are sticking out of the door frame and he's very apologetic and very, you know, I'm so sorry that for this misunderstanding and I'm like, it's okay, I'd probably be mad too, you know, just call me up sometime, we'll eat possum or whatever, I don't know, <laughs> whatever you do. Um, and, and, you know, no harm done, the chickens, of course, some harm done there, probably the dog eventually, I don't know. But, uh, and of course, poor Carrie, she'll never unsee that, but, the reason I tell you that story is not just because, yeah, that actually happened, but we have one job. You realize this, as Christians, we have one job. Now, you may be in, in a completely different line of work than me, probably are. We're, in, we're, we're called by God into all kinds of different vocations, all sorts of different ministry callings and spiritual giftings and relationships, but when you get right down to it, we all have the same job. We are all called to be his witnesses. Jesus literally said that. Those are his last words before leaving this earth. You will be my witnesses. Have you ever thought about the fact that if Jesus died so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven, well, then why don't we just go to heaven when we accept him? Well, he leaves us here because he chooses to do his work of redeeming the world through us. We're the ones who take the message wherever we go. And we're looking at the life of John the Baptist. And I just wanna say right off the top, None of us are supposed to act like John the Baptist. In fact, I don't want to pastor a church full of John the Baptist in in, in personality. That's not the way God made you. That's not the way God made me. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is all of us are supposed to do at, at root what he ended up doing, which is point people to Christ in our own ways, in, in, the, in, in the personalities that God has given us. That's what we do. And the problem is, and here's where my story comes in, for the first time in, human, in American history, for the first time in American history, most of the non-believers we encounter think they already know what we're about. And it's not true. You see, a lot of, a lot of American Christians grew up in an America where if they, someone found out you were a devout Christian, they would immediately have a little more respect for you. And they would think, okay, if I'm ever in trouble, if I ever have questions, I'll go to this person because he goes to church and he prays and she knows the scriptures. I'm gonna go to them when I have a need for advice or counsel or prayer. Today, though, the predominant view among unbelievers is, oh, I, I know what you people are like. I know what you're up to. And it's not good. You don't like people like me. You have it in for people like me. Uh, you're the problem with our country right now. So they think we know what we're about. Just like that guy thought he knew that my dog killed his chickens when I didn't even have a dog. They think they know what we're about. How can we change their minds? There are a couple of qualities in John that I want to show you. A couple of qualities that we desperately need and that few of us have. So we're starting with verse 2. It says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, 
Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Have you ever thought about, those of you who've studied this, no church would ever call John to be their pastor today. We expect our pastors to be presentable. John dressed in camel's hair, cinched with a belt, probably the same garment every single day. We want our pastors to make things easy for us. We want padded pews and, and, and nice lighting and air conditioning and music that suits our taste. John said, I live in the desert. I eat locusts and wild honey because that's what grows in the desert. You want to hear the word of God? Come see me. I'll be in the desert. And they came and they came. They came by the thousands. Mark says that all of Jerusalem and the whole Judean countryside was going out to hear him speak. There was a hunger for what he was offering them. And then we also want a preacher these days and probably at all times. People like preachers who condemn their enemies. Preachers who preach about the sins of other people, but not our sin. And that wasn't John at all. Listen to what he says. This is, this is the summing of his message. Verse seven, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Just as a side note, some of y'all know this, Kathy Talbot, our children's minister is on sabbatic leave right now. She'll be back in uh, about four weeks. Pray for her and God will refresh her spirit and soul. I love that we serve a church that allows us that opportunity. Um, but wouldn't it be a, an ironic thing if Kathy came back and her first Sunday to do the welcome, instead of saying happy Sunday, she said, you brood of vipers who fleed you from the wrath, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. That would be a little bit of a change. Verse eight, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't think we can quite grasp how offensive what John was saying was to the people who were hearing him. John knew because he himself was Jewish. He knew the racial pride that Jews had and how excited they were and how proud they were of the fact that they were the only people in the history of the world with whom God made an exclusive covenant. And he's saying, don't you understand your Hebrew blood doesn't make you right with God. Your status as a Jew does not mean your sins don't count. You still need to repent. You still need to change. That's not what people wanted to hear. John was telling them the hard truth. And believe it or not, they listened to him. See, here's what was going on. When, when I was a pastor of another church years ago in another town, uh, I, went, I made a visit to a family that had just started visiting our church. Uh, they lived in a house with animals in every room. I'd never been in a house like this where there were, there were dogs, there were more cats than you can count. There were other animals that I didn't even know could be domesticated. There were pot-bellied pigs, there were guinea pigs, there were hamsters. I mean, any kind of animal you can name that can possibly live in a human home was there. And this was a really sweet family. And I enjoyed talking to them, except their house smelled like a barn. And, and I felt bad about that. And I was surprised by that because... Carrie will tell you, I have a very weak sense of smell. I can hardly smell anything at all. But in that house, I could barely stand to stay. I mean, I was just fighting to stay long enough to have a conversation. And these were otherwise normal people. 
And they had regular jobs and their kids went to public school and they lived ordinary lives, but they came home to a house that other people couldn't stand to be in. And I I left wondering, how can they stand to live like that? And then it occurred to me, I'm sure they didn't just suddenly buy 200 animals. It, It happened slowly over time. You've got a couple of dogs, you bring in a few cats, and then slowly you add to that and the smell increases. But because it's happening gradually, you don't notice it. But anybody from the outside comes in and they're like, okay, good to see you, Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later, I'm out. And that's a great image of the way sin accumulates in our lives. You see, we have a... have an an amazing ability to justify ourselves and to say, I'm a pretty good person. I know I'm not perfect. I I know, I mean, we'll we'll admit, okay, we're hot-tempered or we love money too much or maybe we look at porn from time to time or we like to gossip or uh, we hold a grudge too often or we like to complain. We've got our flaws. Yeah, we admit that, but basically we're better than most people. What we don't realize is that we put off this this odor of sin that drives people away, that hurts those around us. Those who we are called to love, we can't love them because of the, the stench of sin upon us that is wounding them. And nobody is bold enough to come up and say, you need to get clean. You've got a problem. Nobody's bold enough to tell us the hard truth. And see, the thing about John was, John was a prophet of the Lord. We hear the word prophet and we think someone who foretells the future. If you read the prophets in the Old Testament, they told the future occasionally, but what they mostly did was tell the people about the present. What they mostly did was tell people, here's where you're messing up and here's where you need to change. See, a prophet was a person who, spiritually speaking, had a nose like a bloodhound. And whereas you and I might smell the stench and say, okay, I'm out, they couldn't not talk. In fact, this is just my theory. I think the reason John lived in the desert is he was so disgusted by the sin of human civilization, he couldn't live in the midst of it. It just killed him. But he had to tell them the truth. He had to tell them what was wrong with them. He couldn't not speak. And again, believe it or not, they, they realized he was right and they were repenting left and right. Boldness is powerful. Let me talk about the other quality that John had, not just boldness. Look at verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Now hold on, that last sentence, I don't know if you noticed, it says, John was continuing to preach good news. Does any of John's message sound like good news to you? Because it doesn't to us. It sounds like he's criticizing. It sounds like he's being mean. How is this good news? We'll get to that at the end of the message. But first, I want to talk about his humility. See, John was the most famous person in Israel. Again, the whole countryside was going to hear him. And there's a thing about fame that you may not realize. Maybe some of you who are very young still hope that you grow up to be rich and famous. I I did when I was your age. Of course, when I was your age, that meant getting on TV or becoming a pro athlete or becoming a, a rock star. These days, you can be famous just for having a YouTube channel, right? And so we dream about this kind of fame, and yet fame is toxic. It, it poisons nearly everybody who it happens to. 
Because if, if you get told that you're a God, often enough, you start to believe it. And then you start to think, well, the normal rules don't apply to me. I mean, other people should do what I say. Other people should listen to me. And they shouldn't tell me what to do. It should be the other way around. And, and I can do what I want. And if it hurts somebody, so be it, because I am who I am. And, and this is why, this is why famous people are some of the unhappiest people on earth. And this is why, I'm, I'm convinced, this is why so many well-known preachers stumble in such shocking ways. It's not like they're snakes, not, at least not at the beginning. They probably go into it with as sincere a heart as any Christian. But we in the church put them on such a pedestal. I mean, believe me, I believe in the power and the importance of preaching God's word or I wouldn't do it. But it doesn't make me any more important than any one of you. And yet when, when people start to treat a certain preacher like he's more than a man, like he's some special vessel of God that without which the church couldn't survive, well, that starts to go to his head. And he starts to think, ah, normal rules don't apply to me. And he doesn't have anybody around him anymore to say, buddy, you need to, you need to take a bath. You stink. And that's a problem. He ends up wandering into terrible sin. See, John was more famous than a movie star. He was more famous than a megachurch preacher. He was, he was someone that the people thought might be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. Any ordinary human, if, they're not, if they're not careful, if they listen to that long enough, we'll start to believe it. How easy would it have been for John to say, yeah, you know, they're right. I mean, who else could get thousands of people to walk out into the desert to hear the word of God preached? Who else could convince so many self-righteous people to repent of their sins? And after all, I don't know whether I'm the Messiah or not, but I might be. I mean, why not? Who's to say I'm not? And, and I know that I'd be a good king. Trust me, I'd, make the, I'd straighten this country out if they gave me power. But that's not what John said. That's not what John thought. He said, I'm not the show. You've come to hear me, but you know what? You're really coming for someone else. I'm just preparing the way for him. I'm just trying to point you to him. When he gets here, you'll see, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He's the one who will straighten this world out. He's the one who will save you. That's humility. See, we think of humility as being a sense of our own lack of good qualities, that's, that's called low self-esteem. It's not the same thing. You can be absolutely aware of your own abilities and gifts and thankful for them and still be humble. Humility is getting out of the way. Humility is, I don't need to be right. Humility is, I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to be liked. I don't have to have your approval. I just wanna serve you. I just want you to know the love of Christ. So let's talk about those two qualities, boldness and humility for a second. Let's talk about boldness. If you were a doctor and a man came to see you first time, 40 years old for his annual checkup and you checked him up, up and down and you knew, I mean, head to toe, he looked as healthy as any human you've ever seen, but his blood showed that there were signs of malignancy. You couldn't see it, you couldn't tell, but there was a chance that he had something, some kind of cancer in his body. Now it's your job at that point to say, you need to go see an oncologist, you need to, go check to, you need to get checked out. But what if you say to yourself, I don't wanna give him that kind of news. I mean, we, we were just sitting here talking about the Astros, we were having a good conversation. That's gonna ruin his day and mine. And by the way, he's got a wife and kids, I don't want them to get all worried and upset. I don't wanna be responsible for causing them stress. 
And, and what if it's nothing? What if he goes off and finds out that everything's fine and I, I will have gotten him scared for no reason? Or what if on the other hand, it, it, there's no hope and he's gonna be dead in a couple of weeks and you know, why, why scare him if there's no hope? Now, do any of those excuses work? Of course not. You've got one job. You've got one job and that's to tell this guy the truth. You and I have one job and that is to tell people the truth about God and about themselves. Uh, think about Think about the people you're around. I'm just gonna name four hypothetical, completely imaginary people, but imagine you know someone who grew up in a church and once he got to be an adult, he decided, I'm done with this. All the Christians I know are hypocrites. It's all a lie, I'm done. And you know him and you're always thinking to yourself, I wish somebody would sit down with him and say, yes, you've met Christians who aren't good people, but that doesn't change who Jesus is. I mean, if you meet a, a, a a, a car salesman who's a jerk, do you stop riding in cars? If, if you meet a pharmacist who isn't trustworthy, do you stop taking medicine? You know, you need someone to tell him that truth. And then you know this other person, it's a woman who grew up in another country and she never really even heard about Jesus until she got here. And now all she knows about the Bible, about God, is what she sees in popular media, which isn't enough. And you wish that there was some sincere, eloquent, articulate Christian who could sit down with her and become friends with her and eventually get to the point where they could say, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done for me. And then you know a third person who says he's a Christian, but he never goes to church and he, he lives completely exactly like every other unbeliever you know. And you wish that somebody would say, okay, buddy, either two, one of two things is true. Either you're a believer, but you're denying him by your life. And so you need to repent and get right. And by the way, you're missing out on abundant life or you're fooling yourself and you need to actually come to know Christ. And then there's a fourth person you know who's a, a woman that you know is a sincere Christian, but you listen to her talk about her marriage and you know things aren't right. And, and you wish someone would say to her, listen, you, it doesn't have to be this way. This isn't the way God wanted you and your husband to relate. I know a good Christian counselor. Let me give you his number. Uh, let me drive you there. You need help. This is good. Don't continue living like this. Now, let me ask you, those are four people. Is there any of those four conversations that you can't have? No. Are there any valid excuses? Oh, well, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not an outgoing person. Well, I'm, you know, I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing. Well, you know, I just don't want to get it. I've got a lot on my plate. None of those excuses work because you have one job. Now, I'm not standing here saying that I always have those conversations. I pray for boldness every day of my life because by nature, I am not bold. And I fail more often than I succeed. But Admit that you need boldness. And, and I'll tell you the truth. I've been in church my whole life and I'm thankful to say, unlike what you hear in the world, most church people are exceptionally nice. The church people I know are the nicest people I know. They tend to be. And that, that makes my job easier. And I'm not saying I want the alternative. But I am saying that niceness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I honestly and I speak as a, as a lifelong recovering nice guy, a lot of what we say is niceness is actually the fear of man. That's what the Bible calls it. It's, I don't want this person to be mad at me. I don't want this person to think less of me. I don't want an awkward moment between us. And so I'm just gonna keep the truth to myself. We need to be bold. And then we also need to be humble. See, as I said, niceness is motivated by the fear of man, but that's not humility. Humility is saying, I will tell you the truth 
It's just, I don't need to be the one who's right. I don't need to be the one who you look at and say, okay, well, he convinced me. I don't need to be the center of attention. I don't need to have the last word. I want one way or another for you to know the truth. And I'm gonna make sure it happens, but I don't have to get any credit for it. Humility is getting out of the way. And let's face it, there are Christians I know who would admit, I'm, I'm not a nice person. I tell the truth. I speak the truth. I, I, if I hear something I disagree with, I'm gonna speak up, even if it's someone who's not even talking to me. I'm gonna interject and I'm gonna put my opinion in and I usually get the last word because that's, that's the personality I have. And if you have that personality, and some of you do, not most of you, but some of you, that's a gift. That is a gift from the Lord. But it's a gift that's like a, you know, a machine gun. It can do incredible good, but it can do a whole heck of a lot of damage if it's in the wrong hands and used in the wrong way. And see, a lot of Christians I know think they're bold for the Lord when they're really just jerks. And your boldness is not gospel boldness unless, unless you're actually persuading people. See, it's one thing if you're owning the other side and all your, all your fans are, are cheering you on and man, I love you because you tell the truth. But who have you persuaded? Who have you brought over to the side of the gospel? Who have you, who have you rescued from a life of wandering in the wrong direction and, and helped them get on the right path? See, if, if you can't name anybody, if you can't name anybody who's been persuaded by you and is being persuaded by you, then you're not bold for the Lord. You're just, you're just a loudmouth with opinions. And the world's got plenty of those. Plenty of those on the internet and uh, TV that get paid good money to make our world worse. Don't be one of those. Pray for humility. See, this is what I'm saying. John was one guy in a desert one weird guy in the desert. And he changed the lives of thousands of people. You and I are part of a church that's not even the biggest in our city, but there's hundreds of people that go to our church. And we're on school campuses and we're in workplaces and we're in offices and we're in neighborhoods all over this county. And that's in addition to all the dozens of other gospel preaching churches in this community and all the thousands of Jesus preaching churches in, the, in this nation. Can you imagine if we just started living with humble boldness, with bold humility, with both of these qualities, the impact that it would have? Again, you don't have to be John the Baptist. You don't have to call people snakes and sinners if that's not the personality God has given you. But be bold for the Lord and be humble enough to let others see the light instead of you. I, I'm asking you to pray, okay? I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. And, and for most of you, what I'm asking is for you to say, I am a nice person and there's nothing wrong with that, but I need to pray for God to make me bold. If I can't think of anybody who I've had, any hard conversations that I've had with anybody besides my spouse and my children and my parents over the last month, then I need to pray for boldness. I need to pray that God would make me bold. And here's what I've learned as someone who has been praying for boldness for my whole life, my whole adult life. You don't wake up tomorrow with the heart of a lion. That's not the way the prayer works. What happens is when you pray for boldness, God starts making you aware of situations around you where people need to hear the truth and you have the choice to make, okay, am I gonna be the one that speaks the truth or am I gonna continue to be timid? And every time you make the choice to speak the truth in love, your heart grows bolder. 
that's the way, that's the way you grow in boldness and, and that's what's happening to me. I'm still a long way from it, but that's what's happening to me. And then there are some of you here this morning who need to say, you know, sometimes I can be a bit of a jerk and I have people mad at me all the time and that's not a good thing. Uh, so I want God to make me humble because if, if I'm gonna make people mad, I want it to be with the gospel and not with my abrasive personality and not with my desire to always have the last word. I want it to be they're offended because they don't like the truth of who God is and what's going on in their life. So Lord, teach me humility. And this is something I pray for every day of my life too. Uh, not that I have that personality type, but when you preach and you have every Sunday people listening to you speak, you can start to think that that's because you're special. And I need, I need for the Lord to remind me every day, I'm not special. And so I pray for humility. And, and again, it's not like I wake up tomorrow and I'm this incredibly humble person. I'm not. I'm, I'm prideful and I'm vain. And, and what happens instead is God gives me opportunities to serve others. God gives me opp opportunities to shut up and listen. If you pray for humility, you're gonna have opportunities that you'll see where you'll think to yourself, you know, ordinarily I would jump in and disagree with this guy, but you know what, what he's saying, his opinion that he's sharing doesn't have anything to do with gospel truth. So I'm not gonna argue. I'm just gonna let him talk. I'm gonna let him be the blowhard this time. Uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna listen to this other person talk. I wanna see if I actually agree with her and maybe I'll learn something. I'm gonna serve this person and not tell anybody I did it because that's how you grow in humility. Now, let me get back to that question I asked a little earlier. How is this good news? Because again, John is standing up there calling people snakes. John is standing up there telling them that they're not as good as they think they are. How is that good news? Two things, number one, the gospel is good news, but it's not good unless you know the bad news first. Doesn't mean much to you that Jesus came to this world unless you know you're not worthy of that, that you need a savior. But the second thing is, remember what he said. Remember the, the verse he quoted in verses four through six, as it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John talks about, I've come to level, valley, level mountains and fill in valleys and make a straight highway for the Lord, for the Messiah to walk on. And the people at that time thought that that meant the Messiah was gonna come and he was gonna walk a road that led to a crown, a crown where he would sit on a throne and he would say, okay, you people over here, you go to hell, I don't love you. Okay, you few over here, I'll take you. They didn't know what John knew, that the Messiah had come to walk a road that led not to a crown, but to a cross. He didn't come to condemn us, but to die in our place. He came to die in place of anyone who would believe, anyone who would trust, anyone who would say, yes, I need salvation. And that's good news. See, the world doesn't know that. Just like that guy thought that my dog killed his chickens. The world looks at us and says, okay, I know you people. I know what you are. You sit in your little churches and you talk about how evil we are and you're the problem with our society and you hate our guts. And what they don't know is, as flawed as we are, we have a savior who created them and died in their place and would do anything to rescue them and already has. And if they knew that, these baptistries would be full. In every gospel preaching church in our city, these, these baptistries would be full every single Sunday. And you think three services is a lot on a Sunday? Think about how many we'd have to have if they saw bold humility in all of us. That's the good news. Are you ready to share it?